but that's not how it was. Chapter One We Are Family Jesse, on the first anniversary of your death, you gave me a sign. For Christmas and New Year's, your father and I had gone to southern Italy, where my memories of family were only ancestral and Chris's didn't exist at all. We stayed in a 500-year-old palazzo in Naples, sleeping entombed in a high-ceilinged room with huge wooden shutters that covered the windows and blocked out noise from below. One tall window fronted the pedestrian street, and the other opened onto a narrow Neapolitan alleyway. I staggered out of bed, propelled by my body's memory of finding you last year, my mind not yet fully conscious. I opened the shutters, then a window. As I turned back to the room, I saw my laptop's dark screen come aglow all by itself. My screensaver is a picture of us laughing by the bay, you in your little red jogging stroller, mouth wide open in a scream of delight, my mouth mirroring yours, your father's suffused with joy, Goody, the little bichon frise, just happy to be included. Before I could register that strangeness, the song, We Are Family, blared up from the street. I caught my breath. It was as loud as if the music was emanating from our walls. Never Can Say Goodbye followed at the same volume. The wall of sound stopped at the end of the song. Then the everyday street sounds of Naples filtered up at a normal level, accordion music, shoppers' feet clacking over the cobblestones. Released from my enchantment, I looked over at Chris, lying immobile on the bed. I didn't dare ask if he'd heard, but I knew he had. You know why I knew it was you? It was the disco music in this ancient place that so perfectly expressed your sly humor, your mischief, the whiff of teenage irony, and that choice of song. I can still see your Elvis lip curled, fighting a smile, as your crazy mother twirls you in your wheelchair to, I will survive. We almost didn't have you at all. There we were, living out the New York starving actor cliché, six flights up in the middle of Hell's Kitchen, in a cacophony of neuron-grating sounds from the parking lot across the street and the fire station down the block. Air horn blasts from trucks routinely suspended conversation, and our answering machine informed callers that they had reached downtown Beirut. Rushing to auditions early in the morning, I would see hookers already performing their craft in the alleyway next to the apartment building. And at night, we watched adolescent boys selling themselves to businessmen on the corner. Homeless men camped on our doorstep in a nest of rags and newspapers. Even surrounded by sleaze, we were blissfully happy with a gaggle of good friends struggling just like us amid the thrumming excitement of life in a world-class city. When the car alarms got too insistent, we threw water balloons at them. We grew basil and mint on our fire escape and sojourned on the roof for brief vacations from the sensory overload of the street. I pushed it. I waited until it was almost too late. I went to a psychic because I was afraid if I had a baby, the child and I would die. But everything was fine. 
I kept a careful, almost obsessive record of everything I ate. I quit smoking. I never had a drink, even when we traveled to Italy, where wine is regarded as medicinal. I had amniocentesis, because I was, in insulting medical terms, an elderly prima gravida. We saw you on the sonogram that day. Your back turned to us as you lounged on your salty waterbed, your sex hidden. We knew you were a boy. You were Jesse Lanier, named after your great-grandfather. Before you were born, your name was Nunutz. Your father is great at nicknames. Jane Fonda and I, and a herd of pregnant women, did exercises every day. I climbed flights and flights of stairs, walked with my arms crossed over you when I traversed the jangly streets of New York, and worked every day writing copy for MGM Home Video. I was in my 29th.